You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. He wasn't about keeping the peace. He wasn't about not disturbing the, the status quo. He was about calling for justice, the justice that in the Jewish tradition was to be the foundation or the root of peace. Peace was not the absence of conflict. It was the fruit of a distributive societal justice. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. This is episode 299, and our title is A Primer on Self-Affirming Nonviolence Part Six. First, let me say how good it is to be back. I'm so sorry I missed last week's uh, episode, uh, publishing last week's episode. Uh, 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 we, uh, uh, I'm just getting over uh, passing kidney stones, and and I have never experienced something more painful in my life. Uh, but I am glad that that is in the past and that it's over, and and this week we can be back. Uh, and I want to take a moment again this week to ask for your support of Renewed Heart Ministries. Renewed Heart Ministries is a nonprofit organization that's working for a world of love and justice. We're about to, bid our, to hit our, our 300th episode of our podcast next week, and, and the last 12 years has been uh, quite a journey. We need your support to continue bringing the kind of resources and analysis that Renewed Heart Ministries provides. Intersections between faith, love, compassion, and justice are needed right now more than ever. Help Christians be better humans. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Renewed Heart Ministries today. To do so, just go to our website at renewedheartministries.com and click donate at the top right. Or if you would prefer to make a donation by mail, our address is Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And to those of you out there uh, who are already supporting us, I just want to say thank you. We could not continue being a voice for change both in society and within the Christian church without your support. This week, Let's take another uh, uh, text in the Gospels that some Christians use when they object to Jesus's teachings on nonviolence or interpreting Jesus's teaching nonviolence. And, and this is in Matthew 10, uh, 34. Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And Christians have used this passage to justify picking up the sword to enlarge the kingdom is what they say. And, and when you read the context of this passage, though, that seems more of a determined intentional effort to interpret Jesus's words in any other way than as part of an ethic of, of, of the nonviolence that Jesus taught. Mahatma Gandhi, he reportedly said, the only people on earth who do not see Christ and his teachings as nonviolent are Christians. And there was a time in my life too when I genuinely felt that, that Jesus's teachings on nonviolence were either tangential or they were uh, just for special circumstances. But I have to confess that today, I believe that I was wrong then. I've begun to see that Jesus is teaching on nonviolence, and those teachings are central to the kind of human community that Jesus envisioned that his society could grow into. And that, that vision involved surviving 
any liberation attempt against Roman oppression. Uh, 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 but it wasn't just about individuals surviving. Um, nonviolence was also to characterize the community's quality of life. It was to, Nonviolence was to be what the, the, the quality of life of the community was characterized by as well. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus continues the above passage with these words. Here's the context, Matthew 10, now 35-38. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be members of your own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So what did Jesus mean by this statement that he came to bring a, a, a sword? Did he want his followers to take up a sword as they've done historically? Or was he saying that the social changes he came to bring would quite likely bring pushback from those empowered with a sword. The Greek word translated as sword in these verses is macharia and, and, or, or machara, and, and it's, it can be translated figuratively to denote strife or warfare. Um, it's a metaphor. And, and I don't believe Jesus is saying that those who follow him should engage in violent warfare in Jesus' name, again, as Christians have historically done. I see them instead as saying that those who choose to follow him, they should expect to receive strife or warfare for standing up against societal injustice and calling for change. In Jesus' statement, the strife that's being created, remember, it's between parents and children. And this is significant because it meant the power and authority within the even the social structures of the family are being challenged. John Dominic Cross, and he comments on this in his book, Jesus, a Revolutionary Biography. This is from page 67. Follow closely what he states. Imagine the standard Mediterranean family with five members, mother, father, married son and wife, and unmarried daughter, a nuclear extended family all under one roof. Jesus says he will tear it apart. The usual explanation is that families will become divided as some accept and other res others refuse faith in Jesus. But notice where and how emphatically the axis of separation is located. It is precisely between the generations. But why should faith split along that axis? Why might faith not separate, say, the women from the men, or even operate in ways far more random? The attack has nothing to do with faith, but with power. The attack is on the Mediterranean, fam Mediterranean family's axis of power, which sets father and mother over son, daughter, and daughter-in-law. That helps us understand all of those examples. The family is, is society in miniature, the place where we first see and most deeply learn how to love and be loved, hate and be hated, help and be helped, abuse and be abused. It is not just a center of domestic serenity. Since it involves power, it invites abuse of power. And it is at that precise point that Jesus attacks it. Jesus then... Uh, he, states, and we have to remember this, again, that's from page 67, but Jesus then states that his followers, they're not to take up the sword in response to those who wield the sword against them. Rather, Jesus's followers 
are to take up the cross. What does it mean that when we challenge even family or political or, or ecclesiastical power structures of hierarchy, when we challenge those with Jesus's vision for a more egalitarian society, what does it mean that we're, that, that, that there'll be a, that, that, that those structures will feel threatened? That 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 they'll raise the, the metaphorically, uh, it'll be the pushback of a sword uh, or, or using that power, and Jesus' followers are to respond rather by taking up uh, the cross. This is a far cry. Remember from Jesus encouraging his followers to to practice justified violence. Uh, instead, this is a call to keep standing up against the abuse of power and promote a more egalitarian distribution of power, even if you're being threatened with a cross for doing so. And if you'd like more information on that, uh, where we've talked about what it means uh, for Jesus when he calls his followers to be willing to take up that cross um, in a way that does not teach the myth of re redemptive suffering, uh, see a primer on self-affirming violence part four. We covered that two uh, episodes ago, but consider this passage about Jesus not bringing peace but a sword through the lens of, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In 1955, King responded to an accusation that he was disturbing the peace through his activism during the, the Montgomery bus boycott. And King wrote, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. Jesus wasn't about peacekeeping. He was about peacemaking and a specific kind of peace, a peace that's not uh, produced through a sword, but through a distributive justice where everyone has enough. He wasn't about keeping the peace. He wasn't about not disturbing the, the status quo. He was about calling for justice, the justice that in the Jewish tradition was to be the foundation or the root of peace. Peace was not the absence of conflict. It, it was the fruit of a distributive distributive societal justice. We see examples of this in the Hebrew scriptures in Isaiah 9, 7. This was the tradition Jesus had grown up in uh, of the greatness of his government and, and peace. There will be no end, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Isaiah 59, 8, the way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. Uh, Micah 4, 4, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make Make them afraid. This is a peace rooted in everyone having enough. And an example in the synoptic gospels that illustrate Jesus's willingness to disturb the peace is his final entry into Jerusalem. He, he disrupted the temple activity in protest of the economic system's exploitation and oppression of the poor, of the destitute. In Mark 12, 40, Jesus states how those benefiting from the system, how they devour widows' houses while for a show make lengthy prayers. And immediately Mark then gives a, an example of a poor widow paying the temple tax. In Mark, Matthew, and Luke, all three of the Synoptic Gospels, we, we read of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem 
and his temple protest. And my favorite is Mark's version, and I'll show you why. This is Mark 11, 4 through 11. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches. They had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The events of entering Jerusalem and overturning the tables in the temple in Mark, they seem to have originally been planned as one combined event. The the the, tri, the 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 entry into Jerusalem it was to culminate or climax in the disruption in the temple. Yet by the time Jesus gets to the temple, it's already late, and most of the people there ha- they've returned home for the day. And for a demonstration, any public demonstration or disruption to be effective, there has to be there have to be people to witness that demonstration. You can't protest protest and raise awareness without witnesses. And, and business as usual has to actually be taking place for one to disrupt it. So, so Mark's story states that Jesus went back to Bethany, and most likely that was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he, he stayed there overnight, and then returned the next day to finish his protest. But ultimately, I believe Jesus was seeking, again, the peace that comes through everyone having enough, not only to survive, but also to thrive. That's what the protest in the temple was all about. People were being economically exploited, especially the poor. Jesus was working for a world where no one has too much while others don't have enough. And yet to do that, like Jesus, we must be willing to disrupt and to disturb the status quo. Jesus did so nonviolently, yet his actions were were disruptive nonetheless. And yes, it did bring a sword. Before the week of his protest was over, he was crucified for the economic and political implications of his temple disruption and and the ever-growing crowd, too, of Jewish working and and peasant poor who were were beginning to follow him. That that crowd was growing. He was gathering support among the masses. His actions of disturbing the peace brought the sword that he taught it would. And this is I believe it's a much more life-giving interpretation of our passage this week than the teaching that Christians should not oppose uh, violence. Christian history would look very different if Christians had refused to take up the sword in Jesus' name. The world, too, might even look very different had the church not abandoned Jesus' teachings on nonviolence. And today, however, Christianity stands as the world religion with the most violent history. We hold the record. And it is to the the end of repairing that damage, especially the damage that's been done to marginalized communities that Christians must work toward today. Again, there's much to contemplate this week. Again, our feature text is Matthew 10, 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, 
but a sword. Heart group application, discuss with your group the differences between peace that's enforced by a sword and peace that is the fruit of, of distributive justice where everyone has enough. And then number two, what difference does it make for you personally to believe that the Jesus you follow was a disturber of the peace and that he invited his followers to be disturbers and disruptors of the peace in response to systemic injustice too? And then number three, discuss how you too, uh, along with Jesus, both personally and collectively as a group, can become a disturber of the peace in response to injustice. And then pick something from your discussion and begin putting it into practice uh, this week. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are, keep choosing love. Choose compassion. Take action. Choose reparative and distributive justice. Another world is possible if we choose it. Don't forget, we need your support here at Renewed Heart Ministries to continue making a difference. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.